This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. I am Trevor. Felicitously, Paul. Paul, how are you doing? I am doing pretty good, yeah. Um, we were talking before we started recording. We're, we're recording at a different time than we usually do, so it's it's kind of strange. I'm in a little bit of a different headspace at the end of the day, but <laughs> I think it's going to be fun. I think so. You know, it'll be weird to be able to record and then actually go read because I usually on Saturdays I'm in the mood to go read but I have a bunch of errands to run I know tonight I think I'll be okay to just say goodbye and then go and actually do some reading nice I like (laughs) it I laugh because that's that's probably not actually going to work out that way but (laughs) but there's a possibility just don't come out of your room and they'll never know (laughs) boy he's really recording for a long time he's been in there for four (laughs) hours Oh man! Then they might start, you know, asking questions. That's, and, true. That's true. You know, they they support this right now, but we don't want we don't want anything to, to go wrong. <laughs> Very good point. Yeah, we don't want to mess <laughs> with success. All right. So today, listeners, what we have in store once we get moving is sharing our love of reading with future generations, uh, as well as announcing the winner of the open letter giveaway from last episode. I'm very excited to do that. We got a lot of entries. A lot of really good emails that were fun. So we'll be sharing some of those as we get going. But I do want to start by asking Paul, what are you reading these days? Yeah, I'm reading a couple of really good things. Um, Actually, I just finished a couple of really good things. Um, One of which I know you've read, and that's A Horse at Night on Writing by Amina Kane. I know that you read that not too long ago. And um, yeah. I just finished it last night. Such a wonderful book. Um, you, you described it a little bit, all about writing and creativity and all kinds of other things. Um, you know, it's not the same as Brian Dillon or Kate Zambrino necessarily, but I felt like it had a lot in common with them, that kind of blend of focusing on really specific topics, but in kind of a drifting, transient kind of way, which I really love. Um, and one one thing I liked about it too is it's one of those books that we've talked about where there's just references to so many books and movies that you're just underlining and jotting down. You know, I was just jotting down a few as I was reading Virginia Woolf, Borges, mm-hmm. Chantal Ackerman, Roberto Bolaño, Annie Arnaud, David Lynch, Rachel Cusk, Alana Ferrante. You know, it just goes on and on. And so those are always kind of fun, just giving you reminders of great books you've read or movies you've seen, but also jotting down ones that you're like, Oh, I haven't even read that one yet. I better, you know, keep that one in mind. So um, I really like her style. I was just going to read it real quick snippet. She says, reading Anne Radcliffe's the mysteries of Udolpho. I was enthralled with her lengthy descriptions of the landscape as I was with the mystery and horror of the story. I was attached to the plot. I'll admit, though I don't like the way it wraps itself up in the end. It's not that I'm never drawn to story, but the plans in this novel and the landscapes are so detailed. It's stunning. Radcliffe draws a full picture of them, lingers so long in them, you feel that she also found them important to the story she was telling. Or it was just the style of the times. I wish it still was. (laughs) And I thought that was just a good example of like, I really like it. It's a conversational tone, but it is, there's so much excitement for reading and movies and everything. And just that inner life of the mind that I just found it delightful. I really enjoyed it. I read it. It's a short book, but I read it in pretty much, you know, two sittings. So I know that you really like that one as well. If I'm not, I did. I thought mistaken. it was great. Yeah. I still need to read Indelicacy, her her novel. Yeah, I, I haven't picked that up yet, but I 
keep meaning to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that one, I bought it at a bookstore in Miami and I could not for the life of me find it. They, I, I asked the people to help me. They're like, we have three copies. And so the, they had like an entire team <laughs> looking all over the bookstore <laughs> to the point where I was starting to feel bad. And I pretty much had given up. I was like, well, don't worry about it. I'll get it later. And then finally somebody came like running out of the back room. Eureka, I found it. <laughs> so I'm happy to report that all that trouble was worth it because it's they they book. knew what they were doing was important. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's why they got that job in the first place. <laughs> I know. It's true. The passion came through. So it, it all paid off in the end. Okay. And then um I also did just finish Stella Maris, the uh-huh. companion novel in the um I guess it's, you know, a loose series with Cormac McCarthy's new books and as anybody who follows me on Twitter is probably sick of hearing it, just absolutely blew me away. Um, <laughs> probably too fresh right now for me to actually rank it, you know, among his other books. And that's not even necessarily something that needs to be done, you know, but we'll do it next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give me a couple of weeks. All I can say is I think it, it ranks up there with some of his great books. Um, it was just beautiful, heartbreaking, fascinating, just all the things you would expect from a Cormac McCarthy novel. I know that he, spends a lot of his time down in New Mexico on this kind of like, it seems like it's like a genius commune where he just <laughs> hangs out with a bunch of other geniuses, but most of them are scientists and mathematicians. And I feel like this book in particular, you could kind of feel that a lot of it probably was generated from conversations that he just had with his friends where it's just talking about some amazing things, you know, science and skepticism and belief, mathematics, language, mental illness, you know, morality, it just, it touches on so many different things and it's in the form of kind of these interviews between a patient and a psychiatrist. And, oh man, I don't know. It was really compelling and fascinating and mentally stimulating, but not, I didn't feel like it, you know, it was still welcoming, I guess you would say. So yeah, I could rave on and on about that one, but such a relief. (laughs) Yeah. Well, just such a relief to, have these last two books from him or what I assume is probably the last two and for them not to be in my opinion duds at all but in fact they're just masterpieces so yeah I was thrilled to to finish that and um, I I did read them pretty closely together which I would recommend for anybody I don't think there was probably like a two-week gap in between but I think you could read them separated by more time but there was some echoes and it's definitely some of the same characters obviously but I just mean some of the themes were echoed in the two books and I thought it was really nice to read them close together. So yeah, so that, that was a lot of fun. And then I just started tonight, Gentleman Overboard, which I've heard so many good things about from so many friends out there. I got it on interlibrary loan and just picked it up tonight. It's a really nice old copy that I got through the library to the point it's old enough where I'm actually kind of wondering, like, I don't know if it was from the thirties when it was actually produced, but I couldn't find any other dates on it besides 1937. (laughs) So I'm almost wondering, you know, I don't know, but it looks pretty old and battered, but it's a really beautiful old copy and I'm excited to start digging into that one. Excellent. Well, how is it so far? I have, I have seen people say, oh, this is what I'm reading Mm -hmm. this week, you know, like on my Instagram and such. So I'm assuming there was some kind of resurgence maybe in the last year. Yeah, there was. And I don't actually know. I should have done some research. I don't know exactly what fueled the resurgence, but I think it was just republished and I don't have the hmm. the publisher in front of me who did that. But since then, it's definitely been making the rounds, you know, on Twitter and elsewhere with people just talking about how great it was. And so I, I held off for a little while, but I finally succumbed to the 
you know, the whatever, 70 years later, the hype that's resurfaced. And so far, it's really wonderful. It's it doesn't beat around the bush. It, basically, the first couple sentences is telling you he's on the ship and he fell overboard. And so, you know, it's like in the title and within the first couple sentences, like, oh, OK, that's what happened. And um, so far, I'm I'm literally probably like 10 pages in. I was reading it just before we started, but it's kind of talking about how he got onto the ship and, and kind of his life on the ship during the weeks that he was sailing. But like I said, from the beginning, you know what's going to happen and it's not good. So yeah, I'll report back. But um, again, that, I didn't mention the author earlier. It's Gentleman Overboard by Herbert Clyde Lewis. So, so far, so good, you know, 10 pages in, but based on everything I've heard and, and the people who've said it, I have no doubt that it'll continue to, to be a, a good read. So well, cool. how about you? What have you been reading? Well, so <laughs> this is what I've been reading all year, basically, is yeah. Konstantin Postovsky's The Story of a Life, translated by Douglas Smith. This came out earlier from NYRB Classics in the U.S. It had already been published in the U.K., uh, you know, there was a, a good review uh, or a favorable review. It's a great review, but a favorable review <laughs> by John Self. And yeah, this this was fantastic. It's the first three volumes of his six volume autobiography slash memoir thing. And I actually have a little part from toward the, you know, about 100 pages left. He has these little asides as he's going through his life. And I just love them. Uh, here's one where he says, So far in this work, I have only written about things that I have seen and heard for myself. For this reason, there are a great many important events I haven't mentioned. My intention is to speak as a witness, and I have no desire to write here in these pages, nor could I, if I did, a general history of these revolutionary years. This is from right around, you know, 1917 in in Mm -hmm. Russia and Ukraine and such. He says, I began writing this story of my life a long time ago. I am old now, and still I have only managed to bring my story up to the time of my early manhood. I don't know whether I will be able to finish it. If I were ten years younger, I might write another, more interesting story of my life. Not about my life as it was, but as it could have and should have been, had its arrangements depended solely on me and not on a host of external and often hostile circumstances. It would be a story of what never happened, of all the things that ruled my heart and soul, of a life that gathered all the color, light, and excitement of the world into itself. I can see many chapters of that book as clearly as though I had lived them several times over. Mm. (laughs) This is in the middle of stories that he's talking about where, you know, just maybe a memory he has of of one particularly dangerous night wandering the city during the revolutionary years or, you know, working as as not really a doctor, but as an assistant physician, uh, during the war and out on the front. it It's a tremendous book. It's long, and I did it by basically reading a chapter every day. And really, that was the way I needed to do it because some of the chapters I'd finish and be like, okay, it wasn't too much in that one. And then the next one would have me you know, feeling very emotional mm-hmm. because of people that I don't have any idea who they were. Uh, yeah. It's just that kind of book. Um I, I really hope that volumes four, five, and six are coming. I'm sure it'll be a few years, but when Have it you comes, heard anything I'll jump on it. No, that, yeah. I haven't asked directly either. Cause I don't, I don't know, you know, this wasn't like a, an NYRB classics thing that they, you know, it had already been published in, 
in the UK by another publisher about a year ago. And so I don't know exactly how it's all been. And I, I always figure they'll, you know, they, they see me clamoring on and saying, Oh, I can't wait for more. They would, you know, if it were something that they wanted to share, I think they, they would have. And since they didn't, I'll just wait for some news someday down the line. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it sounds wonderful. And based pretty much solely on your recommendations, I did pick it up the other day. So it's sitting there waiting for me and I'm looking forward to diving in. I might, take you up on your idea of, you know, a chapter a day. Cause that does seem like a nice way to do it for a book like that. It, and most of them are about 10, 10 to 15 pages. I would say some are shorter, some are a little bit longer, but not really that many um, mm-hmm. are, are too long. And so it never felt like a chore. And there were many when I would say, Oh, the next one's only four or five pages. I'll just read that one today too. So I did yeah. get through it a little faster, but I don't, I don't think I ever missed a day. And I loved looking up the art. He talks a lot about art and poetry and writing. And, you know, he'll talk about going to a museum and seeing a particular painting or certain painter's work. And I would get on online and look look them up because, I, you know, invariably I had no idea who he was talking about or what they might, what he might be looking at. So that was also a lot of fun and part of the fun. So I kind of started a Twitter thread where I would just post pictures of some of the paintings that he had talked about during the day or the art or various quotes from the book that I just found very touching or troubling um, because of, you know, here he is thinking, oh, humanity has really evolved. And then he lives through something where he says, look, you know, who, who knew this much brutality and hostility and ignorance was lurking in the shadows yeah. all these years. And yet here it is. And, and yet he's still as optimistic as I'll get out throughout, but he's, you know, he saw a lot of horrific things and experienced a lot of, of terrible things. So it's, it's, it's powerful. There's another part toward the end where he kind of writes about that. I, I'm writing this to get through some of this stuff and I hope it might help others as well. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it quite rose to that level for me, but it it's just filled with humanity yeah. and his, his tenderness towards humanity and toward the world and culture and nature. It It's great. It's a great one. Sounds wonderful. Yeah. What you mentioned about looking up paintings just reminded me on when I was reading a horse at night that I mentioned earlier, I was doing the same thing because she's pretty good about that, like mentioning some different works of art and things. And there's something about those types of books that is just fascinating to me because it takes you down all these rabbit trails, but then they keep drawing you back and you can kind of sink back in and start, you know, reading along till you find the next thing. But it's such a, wonderful way to get exposed to all these different pieces of art and different movies and books that you never would have heard of otherwise. Excellent. All right. Well, we have a giveaway today of a year's subscription to open letter that open letter is generously sponsoring and and giving away them uh, for us, you know, as part of this celebration of their work uh, that we did last in the last episode with our guest, Ron Restrepo. And, we're not going to announce the winner quite yet, but we do want to introduce uh, some of our contestants, I guess you could say, some of our people yeah. who entered, uh, because they sent emails along. Uh, anyone who entered had to list two books, one that they, you know, was one of their favorites that Open Letter published, or at least one that they wanted to go back and, and finally read, and then one forthcoming title that most excited them. And so we got a lot of those, but then there were some that... I thought, well, let's let's read that one on, uh, you know, to everybody because it just it's fun to celebrate together, 
And so anyway, Paul, do you want to take it away and read one from a previous winner of Archipelago Zier subscription? I'd, if she wins again, people will be crying foul, but it's all fair. It's all fair. <laughs> yep. I'm not going to cut her out. But Kim That's McNeil, right. who, who I understand she wrote resubscribed to archipelago so you know that's kind of a cool result too that it was maybe such a good experience the the year's worth of books that she then turned around and just uh subscribed again yeah that's perfect <laughs> i love that it shows you how great these books are once you start going you can't stop and i found that to be the case for sure sure so this is from kim mcneil and it says hi i just finished listening to your last podcast the publisher episodes are my favorite i'm realizing that i haven't read as many from open books open letter books but I've been collecting Ugresix books and I'm currently reading American Factory. It is so good. I can tell I have much to look forward to. I also have some of their Dura and Rotorata on my shelf and I just picked up two by Sarah Mesa. I'm excited about the new book from Ugresix, How Sad That We Recently Lost Her, but I was also reading about Embroidery by Sigrin Allsdotter and it sounds really interesting. I think Laxness is the only Icelandic writer I've read previously, so how fun to discover a female Icelandic writer. I hope you're well. Have a great evening, Kim. Thanks, Kim. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's exciting that you're taking into Gresik's works. I think she is a, a treasure for sure. I know. I need to do more of the same like we talked about in the last episode. Um, our next one is from a, one of our international friends, uh, Joseph Schreiber. Uh, I know that oftentimes folks can't join these because of limits on shipping and such, but Open Letter said, hey, open it up to the world. So... Uh, Dear Trevor and Paul, I'm writing to enter your open letter contest. I'm very excited to see it is open to those of us beyond the U.S. borders. My favorite open letter book is The Elusive Moth by Ingrid Winterbach, translated from the Afrikaans by Iris Gauss and the author. It's a wonderfully evocative filmic novel about an entomologist who is at a bit of loss in her life. She heads to a small town in Free State, South Africa, where she lives for a time while growing up. She is studying a rare moth that is adapted to this harsh environment. She comes in contact with a number of enigmatic and eccentric characters during her stay while racial tensions build build in the background. I'm not sure how many people know this book. It's one of three Winterbach titles Open Letter has published, and I can't recommend it highly enough. I've taken the liberty of linking my review from from my early blogging days, which does it better justice in this brief description. I will put Joseph's review in the show notes for folks because it is it is nice to go in there and, and and read that. But I really like this part. I read it back in 2015 as I was recovering from a cardiac arrest secondary to a blood clot I developed on my return from a trip to South Africa. So it had an extra profound impact. The forthcoming title I'm most eager to read is Ninth Building by Zhao Jingji, translated by Jeremy Tang a book that was on my radar long before the recent international booker nod. Apart from Kang Shui, another favorite open letter author, I am remiss in reading Chinese lit. Thank you for this opportunity to enter, Joseph. And, you know, we, we talk about this on all these episodes, but isn't it crazy sometimes just look at the exposure you can have to world literature through some of these presses? It, I know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, no, it's amazing. And the <laughs> fact that, like we say, I spend so much time talking about it, reading about it, and yet... <laughs> Most many of these books I've never even heard of, and that's even from just Open Letter, who I spend a lot of time. So, like when I read his email that came through, I was talking to my wife about it, and that book, The Elusive Moth, just sounds wonderful. I'm like, how have I never heard of this? So, so much fun to discover. 
Well, our next one is from Ryan, and it says, Trevor and Paul, I really enjoyed listening to you and Ron Restrepo talk about open letter books. Like some of your other episodes highlighting independent presses, I knew very little about open letter. But now that I know of another great press that focuses on translated fiction, I have another great resource to explore new authors and countries. As is probably obvious from what I wrote above, I have never read an open letter book, but I was captivated by Paul's discussion of Death in Spring by Merce Rotoreda. After hearing him gush about hurricane season for several months, <laughs> that's true, I read it last year and was spellbound by Meltor's turbulent prose about a squalid little village in Mexico. So I know that Paul and I have similar tastes in strange little violent books. I'm confident I will love this one too. And yes, I am too, Ryan. I think you'll really love it. For the upcoming books from Open Letter, I would love to read Not Even the Dead by Juan Gomez Barcena. It sounds like a mixture of Heart of Darkness and 2666, which honestly would be the perfect book for me. The alluring image of a heretic preacher, deep in a secluded wilderness, and a lone man searching him out and having to confront much more than the dangers of the wild is a narrative arc I can never resist. Thanks, Ryan. Again, just glad I can maybe turn this off and go read. (laughs) I know, seriously. (laughs) All right, our next one, the last one we'll read right now is from David. He says... Hello, friends. I hope you're doing well. I'm a long-time listener and first-time contest enterer from Toronto, Canada. I've always avoided these giveaways to prevent potential issues with international shipping, but I love the work Open Letter is doing, so I couldn't, wouldn't help myself here. (laughs) Open Letter is relatively new to me, but exploring their back catalog has been a wonderful way to learn about authors in translation. And they're basically your neighbors also, you know, you guys can, can just skip around the the lake there and and (laughs) each other. Good point. For a back catalog book, I'm most excited to read. I'll go with Frontier by Conchoy, translated by Karen Gernat and Chen Zeping. I love experimental fiction and translation, and I've been wanting to read more Chinese novelists in general. So Conchoy has been on my radar for a while now. I've actually owned a copy of Frontier for a bit, and while I haven't read it cover to cover, it's been in that category of books that I'm happy to dip into and just enjoy a paragraph or two of prose, because there is always something interesting going on. Such as, Sherman also heard the fish swimming. It was strange. It didn't make a sound, so how could he hear it? But he did. The big fish swam slowly, as if conducting an inspection. When Sherman heard the fish, something warm and strange sprang from his head. A hairy creature approached. It was a dog, and it definitely wasn't little. (laughs) Do I know what that means? No, but I'm glad it's there and looking forward to reading it and other sections like it in context. An upcoming book that I'm excited to pick up is Not Even the Dead by Juan Gomez Barcena, translated by Katie Whitmore. I know pretty much nothing about the author, but the description makes it sound intense and surreal in a way I love, and something about that title really sticks in my mind. I guess I'm at the point in my reading life where a cool title and trust in a publisher is enough to draw me in, and I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> Thanks so much for the giveaway and for your wonderful show. I felt like I couldn't find a book-related podcast that had quite the right energy for me until I came across the Mooks and the Gripes. You two do such a great job highlighting the joys of books and reading, which I don't think I had really understood as separate, but related pleasures until recently. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks for the kind words, David. We, yeah. I, I do appreciate, you know, hearing those compliments and sometimes I feel really self-conscious reading them, but it's nice. I, we, that's actually something we deliberately have always tried to, to do is just make sure that the enthusiasm is one of the main highlights and hopefully uh, a welcome atmosphere. So we appreciate it when 
it seems to come across that way to folks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the nice things about reading these is not the praise of us, but seeing that same enthusiasm in everybody else's mm-hmm. emails and notes, because it's we're, we're representing a lot of what's going on out there, but it's it's we're just the tip mm-hmm. of the iceberg. There are so many people out there that are having these wonderful conversations. So it's thrilling yeah. to be a little part of it. I would say we were inspired, you know, by so many other people and absolutely and definitely follow their examples in the the way that they have touched us and made us feel excited about reading and finding a, a welcome community in in all of the places that we frequent. So yeah, for sure. All right. Well we'll we'll pause on the open letter for just a little bit. We'll get back to them with a few more emails and then the announcement of our winner. But Whew, we've been going for a little bit. I I think most listeners are okay with it by this point. <laughs> I think so. They know what to expect. <laughs> but here comes our actual topic for the day. <laughs> Sharing a love of reading with future generations. Paul and I have talked plenty of times about you know reading to our kids or what our kids are reading. And so we thought it might be interesting to have an episode where we discuss this a little bit more. For one, I'd love to hear more from Paul on this subject and things that have worked or haven't worked. And just in general, why do we do it? What do we care about? You know, does it matter? And then again, to build up some of that enthusiasm, maybe instead of going off and reading on my own tonight, when I hang up here, I'll go and read a little bit more to my kids, for example. And I love doing that. And I think my kids love it too, for the most part. (laughs) And so we just thought it might be kind of fun to to talk about that a little bit. It's a pretty freewheeling thing. I don't think we have like a big list of, of books. We might bring up some of our reading experiences and such in our own memories, but you know, what, what, what kind of attracted you to this topic, Paul, you helped shape it. You know, it wasn't yeah. just a, Hey, this is what I want to do. And you jumped on. We, we kind of developed this a little bit together. Right. I think a, kind of ties into what we were just talking about is, is that, that passion and love of reading that we find in so many people around us. And so it's only natural that some of the people that are closest to us, you know, our kids or our parents or, or different family members like that, a, that they probably had a bit big impact in the case of our parents on our love of reading, but also just that idea that we would love to at least try to pass that on to the next generation, you know, just because I think for us, we've realized how much, companionship and joy and curiosity and so many other great things can come out of reading that it's just natural that you would want to share that, you know, with some of the people you love. So for me, that's a big part of it. I mean, we've talked about, you know, my grandma and and other people in my family were huge readers and just seeing that modeled as a kid or having them read to me, I'm Mm -hmm. sure had a huge impact on, on why I'm such a passionate reader now. And so, you know, that's meaningful to me and, and anything I can do to kind of pay that forward and pass it along um, to me is definitely a worthwhile thing to do. Let me ask a little bit about that specifically. You know, we could have, we could have made this just a reading to your kids episode, but we did broaden that a little bit to how do you share this with the future generation, this, this Mm -hmm. love of reading. And I thought, you know, I don't think my dad ever read a book to me as a Mm. kid. And Mm -hmm. I've never even thought about that until preparing for this episode because it's still been something that we shared because he was always reading a book. Mm -hmm. We went to the library together, as we've talked about in the library episode, every Monday night for years. 
and he would check out several books and he would talk to me about the books that I was reading. I don't think he ever read to me. My mom did that a lot. Mm -hmm. She read The Hobbit to me. She read some other books, you know, when I was pretty little. It wasn't the, but it wasn't also the most common thing. I'm sure they read when I was really little and I don't quite remember it. Right, right. (laughs) But I know I did plenty of that on those little, you know, um, plastic bags with the clips on top that you could open up and get out the record. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, so what, you know, it wasn't just when I was read to that inspired me. They had books around the house. We had bookshelves and I cared about the stuff that they were reading. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big part of it is that's one thing I was going to talk about is just the modeling and not that you're necessarily doing it for that reason. But when your kids see you reading or when, like you said, trips to the library or the bookstore and they can see you picking up a stack. I remember going to the library with my dad and he would get these big, huge stacks of all these like Horatio Hornblower and Patrick O'Brien and all these, you know, the big sailing ships on the front. And even though I I did read a few (laughs) of them over the years, it wasn't necessarily the content that appealed to me, but it was like, I think the fact that your dad would have this excitement and passion for his other life as a sailor out on the, you know, (laughs) during the Napoleonic Wars. (laughs) That's right. And I remember coming up the stairs all the time on, you know, a Sunday afternoon and he would just be like laid out on the couch, just reading those books. And I just remember for me, it was both kind of exciting and inspiring, but also like a calming presence of just knowing that that was part of all of our lives. And, you know, I've talked before, of course, many times about my mom, David Copperfield in particular, I've brought up quite a few times that she would read that once a year, but she was always reading, you know, James Harriet and Agatha Christie and all these other books too. So I think just like you said, even if it's not always a matter of reading out loud, which I do think there's a lot of value in, but it's just that idea of there's a lot of ways that you can pass that passion along mm-hmm. to your kids. Um, and I do think that it, kind of flows through families. I'm sure that there's plenty of exceptions both ways of people breaking off and deciding not to, or a passionate reader, you know, springing up out of the the dust where nobody really has read in their family before. But I do think a lot of times there's those through lines of a family of readers, you know, that kind of continues to pass that along. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder in my own, you know, with my own kids I have four sons aged 16 down to just turned eight uh, about a week ago, Mm. about a week ago. (laughs) And um, we've always read to them. My wife and I both, we've read a lot of books to them over the years and they do enjoy that. I think I've told you before though, my my oldest is not someone who independently goes and just wants to read the book. Mm. Um, He enjoys it. He, He gets one every once in a while and will read it and enjoy it, but it doesn't inspire him to go on and grab another one. He's very much interested in video games and those stories. And I and I don't mean to say that in like, oh, he just wants to play video games. He's pretty invested in the stories and in the music of video games. He himself, he's the one who plays the viola, you know, and mm-hmm. goes to competitions and plays at various things and also plays the piano really well. He loves learning about how music is composed. And one of the best places for him to go and look for that is video games. He loves these, you know, he knows so much about these video game composers. So... I don't mean to to use that as something else. In fact, I'm I'm pretty happy that he's still interested in story, even mm. if it's not the way that I've always tried to grab onto stories, you know, in books and such. He, he and he does love reading um, stories about people. You know, he's he, he's you know. So I guess what I'm saying is, 
I could be really discouraged and think, oh, he just isn't, you know, what did I push it too hard? Is this just a dad thing? <laughs> you know, right, am I right. too into the book reading world? <laughs> <laughs> he uh, has to find his own thing to be his own self. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, I think sometimes I'm, I just really want them to have something that gives them an expansive vision. Mm-hmm. And I get it through reading a lot of times. And I, I think there's more to reading than just that. We had our Why Do We Read Fiction episode uh, early last year uh, with Ben O'Connell, where we talked about a lot of the things that can be done with reading and such. But but I'm also pretty happy when I just see them developing and not just shutting down. Yeah. So now it's an important point. And it's something I think about a lot because I... I do feel that tendency sometimes, you know, inevitably throughout a kid's life or anybody's life, (laughs) there's going to be times where even if you're a reader, you may have slow periods or where you may drift off and not read so much. And when my kids have gone through those, whether it was when they were in elementary school or even now, like you said, the the lure of screens and Mm -hmm. the fact that they're just so busy, you know, that's part of it too. But, you know, like right now, they've both been going through a period where they're not reading as much as they have at other times. And I will admit, I have a little bit of like, oh, you know, I hope this isn't the end. And <laughs> I have to just step back and realize a lot of the stuff you have, all these things we've talked about, the the good memories and the modeling and the fact that they have read so many good books, chances are they're going to return to it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like what I had to realize when they were younger, when I would really want them to maybe read certain books and they all they wanted to read was Captain Underpants, you know, or or something <laughs> like that. And initially you're like, every, every book we mention is going to be in the show notes, folks. That's so, right. Uh, exactly. Captain Underpants. Captain Underpants. <laughs> um, but I had to kind of realize the most important thing is to keep that passion and that love of reading alive. And sometimes that means reading Captain Underpants. And sometimes it may be six months between books, but if you just allow it to happen and you continue, that's one reason where I think, or one place where I do think reading out loud to kids is really valuable is maybe they're going through a period where they're not necessarily feeling like reading too much by themselves, but just keeping that in the house where you, maybe you're reading to them at night or different things like that. And just kind of keeping that, that ember burning a little bit and inevitably it'll, it'll flare up again. So what you said about kind of the flexibility and the willingness to kind of take a step back and realize that there are other ways to go about it. And it won't always look exactly like it did for you is, is a very important point that I always have to remind myself about. <laughs> You, you you said something that made me think we, we might should get really fundamental, or at least try. I'm sure I won't be able to necessarily delve into the depths of all of this. Mm. So we'd love some listener feedback on this for sure that we'd be happy to share. But what is a love of reading? You know, what do, what is that? What's the value to that? Yeah, that's what, a good question. What do you think? I mean, you, you mentioned something about wanting to develop that and and worrying at times like, oh, no, you know, is this going to affect their love of reading? But I'm, I guess I want to kind of talk about what, what, what is that? What's the, yeah, it's a good question because I don't know. I feel like I'm almost too close to it. And so immersed in it that I might have a hard time defining it because mm-hmm. my, my mom, I think some of it is just who you are. My mom talks about when I was a toddler that she would, you know, want to take me to, to go buy toys and all I wanted was books or I would come mm-hmm. up to them like when I could barely walk and instead of holding a toy, I was holding a book. So that's where I, I don't know if I'm the best person to judge because it might just be that I am, you know, I've, I've been you long are, gone from the beginning. You are the the embodied love of reading. I guess so, <laughs> might be. But I do think that beyond all that, some of the reasons that I 
feel like it's so important is we've talked about some of it. I mean, there is the escape, but it's also the expansiveness and and learning, living in other people's bodies and minds and other countries and that part of things that we've talked about. But two, at the, the most basic, I also think in some ways it's kind of, you can never be lonely in life. You know, it's one of those rare gifts for me, at least where it's like, if you're sitting at a table in the middle of a completely foreign city all by yourself, and maybe you're feeling a little melancholy or lonely, if you're a reader to some degree, you always have, you know, a companion with you if you want it. And so, you know, there's a lot of reasons, but that's one thing I've talked about a lot with my kids is just, that's one important part of it is just, you would always have something with you at any time, you know, if if you want it to kind of keep you company. It feels like such a direct connection with someone else's brain. Mm -hmm. And that can go across, you know, the street, across the, the globe and even back in, you know, back in time. Yeah. Uh, There's, there's something powerful about the, the way that this can weave us together as people, even more than movies or television or story, you know, a book is something a little bit different. It can be very intimate and, and connecting. I think there's a reason that we get so connected to, to some of these characters and even some of these authors uh, for better or for worse, you know, we, they really not, it's really not just their mind. And sometimes their minds can be pretty horrible in many ways, but uh, you know, there, there is something about that, that sense of connection that it's, I think it's a little hard to get in many other ways, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, there weren't any movies or video games made, you know, 200 years ago, <laughs> but you right. can read Jane Austen right. and, and get that sense. And I don't know if that's the only, I mean, it's clear, it, clearly it isn't the only thing, or you might be like Captain Underpants is not connecting you with the past, you know, that's, <laughs> but it is something about that, that connection, that sense of a world. And, mm-hmm. and it just reminded me of that email that we received um, <clears throat> back in November before our library episode with Nancy Pearl. This is from Jonah Newhell. Um, and I read it on that episode, but it's when he, you know, decided based on our Epic Reads episode to just get a copy of the Count of Monte Cristo and, mm. you know, put it next to his son at various times and see if there would be some magnetism there. <laughs> yeah, and, no, that's and it worked. Yep. And just that sense of connection, not just with him, but or with you know those characters and such, but with himself, because this mm. is something that he had loved. And now his child was loving it too. And I think that's a lovely thing about being able to read to your kids and, and get the, share these stories with them because it's, it's special in that way too. And that, that I can get sometimes when I sit down to watch a great film or, mm-hmm. or, or play games or even just, you know, of course, go on a walk with them. But right. there's something wonderful about this epic story that they, they spent days in and you were there too. Yeah. And they're going to remember that as some, was, somehow time together. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that time together is something I was going to bring up because w- with two teenagers now, you know, my boys, one's almost 18 and then the other one is 15. And, you know, we still spend a, f- a lot of time together, but inevitably just due to their ages, like I said earlier, their busy schedules and also the fact that they're teenagers. I mean, <laughs> there's a certain amount of, of drawing back and independence, which is is good. But that's one thing that I do think books and reading together, whether it's sitting in the same room, but even reading aloud, I I came across quite a few different articles talking about how important it is, if you can, to keep reading 
with your teens out loud because it creates this safe place where, you know, often with teenagers, there's rebellion or there's, you know, they're, they're pushing back and fighting. And this is a time where you're spending time together. You're sharing something, but you're not debating. You're not, you know, pushing back and forth. It's just this time to be together. And one thing I was thinking about related to kind of all the book banning and everything else that's been going on lately is I think reading together and out loud is also a wonderful opportunity to have some discussions with them. If you read something that is from an older book that is no longer okay or, you know, it wasn't okay then, but I'm, I'm just saying like, you know, where you you're reading it and all of a sudden the red flags go up. That's the perfect opportunity to stop and have a discussion with your kids. And, and you can really open up some fascinating discussions. So instead of banning it and saying, this isn't for you, you should never read this instead, address it, talk about it. And you can have some wonderful, opportunities there. So I think that's another piece of value is just opening up some conversations with teenagers or, or kids at different mm-hmm. stages where maybe you're not otherwise, you know, connecting as well as you have at other times. <laughs> some of my proudest moments, by the way, as a dad, are when my kids come home because they've heard about some book being challenged and they're like, do we have that book? And I'm like, uh, yeah, it's downstairs. Yeah. And uh-huh. I see them reading it later on that night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's that's right. That's, that's awesome. right. That happened with Mouse, the Art Spiegelman graphic mm-hmm. novel, mm-hmm. which I, you know, I think it's fantastic. And I've been wanting to share it with them for a while. But the reason that they found out about it, I mean, I'm sure they saw it at times on the shelf, but they were like, heard about it at school that it was being banned in certain places. And so they're like, oh. I bet my dad has that or my mom, you know, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I better go see what the fuss is about, but then we get to talk about it. You're right. I did not let that opportunity slip to where I thought, and not that I've gotten to a lecture, at least I I do that plenty. And I don't think I did on that particular instance. So it was just like, Hey, yeah, you should read this book and see what you think. And let's talk about it. Why did, you know, why is it drawn this way? What, what is the story there? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm not trying to destroy their innocence, uh, I don't think I can do that with some of these things, you know, I, no. um, I, I want to be there to be a part of, of that sense of wonder and growth and, and sometimes sense of it's complicated and yeah. this is, you're right. That's a great opportunity to, to have those conversations and, mm-hmm. and dig in on that. So we did a lot of that when we were reading, um, the little house on the prairie, you know, mm-hmm. all th- that whole series with our younger son. And he was, I don't know how old he was. He was probably seven or eight maybe. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, racially inappropriate things that are done and pause views of the native Americans and some of the African American people and, and things like that. And, it was a really good opportunity. He was young, but it was still like you could stop, step back and say, this was never okay. But at that time, this is why he might've thought that. And this is why it's changed. And this is why that's not okay. And just have those discussions and he could ask questions. And I think something like that, if you just brought it up out of the blue, you know, probably wouldn't, it would just kind of go over their heads or, or, but they're engaged with these characters and they have a soft spot for Paul. So why is he saying this nasty thing about this person? And you can kind of start to like you said, it's complicated and you can start to get into like a lot of those depths that otherwise you would never get into. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Well, let's, let's table this. I I would like to, when we come back, talk about some ways to foster that love. You know, we've talked mm-hmm. about reading to them or just being a reader in general, but some other ways and other, any, any other parts of the conversation too. But uh, I know that there's uh, something exciting that we need to announce. 
So let's get back to open letter yeah, and share a few more emails and then choose our winner. So right. well, I will kick us off this next one yeah. Yeah, go ahead. with another international listener. So it says, hello, Paul and Mooks. I like Hope that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I've been called gripes a few times. I think you, you get off better with the Mooks. <laughs> Hope you're doing well. Here are my picks for the open letter giveaway. Perusing through their back catalog, Mikhail Shishkin's maiden here caught my attention. He's been on my radar ever since Sean from Travel Through Stories reviewed this book and made the author sound like a contemporary Russian literary giant. From Open Letter's forthcoming titles, I'm most drawn to Ninth Building by Zhu Jing, mainly because my curiosity was tickled by the author's description, where it said that the author has written screenplays for one of my favorite directors, Wong Kar Wai. Best regards from Colombia, Mateo. Thank Mateo, you, Mateo. Uh, he, Mateo, I've never responded. I mean, I, I think I always say thanks, but thank you so much. He always sends these in and, and uh, you know, I sometimes feel bad because I know some, some uh, this is for everybody, but our contests aren't open to him in Colombia, for example. Mm. But he's always been so, you know, willing to still send in his, you know, if I could enter, here's what I would say. And I don't think he's no. doing it to be subversive. I think he's like, hey, I still want to share in this. And yeah. I appreciate that. That's so, awesome. But this time you're you're in. <laughs> you're That's in the great. Pool. And Maidenhair, as I mentioned on the last one, is is very high on my list of ones I would like to read soon too. All right. Here comes the next one. This is from Cody. Uh, it says, first of all, thank you for the podcast. I'm a big fan and appreciate the depth of your conversations. This is my first time writing for a giveaway. So apologize, apologies in advance for rambling below. Well, we'd be hypocrites if we gave you too much uh, trouble for that. <laughs> That's true. I read Mercer Rotoreda's Death in Spring in the summer of 2017, shortly after I graduated college. It was my first open letter title. I can't recall how or where I heard about Rotoreda or open letter, but I was mesmerized by the book. It was holiday weekend. I had a couple of days off work, and I was late to meet some friends sitting in my car, probably still strapped into my seatbelt, drenched in summer sun, finishing Mm. the last 20 or so pages while ignoring whatever calls and texts were chirping from my phone. This Rotorita led to other Rotorita books, then Matias Enar's Zone in December, and many open letter titles and authors since 2017. I've been saving a copy of Mikhail Shishkin's Maidenhair, we'll talk about mm-hmm. that again, uh, mm-hmm. for the right time and place, feeling perpetually unprepared. <laughs> then there's the there's forthcoming titles such as Arnon Grunberg's Good Man, an author I must have overlooked in the catalog with Terse's publication, or newer editions like Nina Leek. Really, though, I just appreciate how much Open Letter Books led me to more books in general. The 3% blog, the Why Should This Book Win series, with a nod to entries like this entry on Jacob Wasserman's My Marriage. Do you see what he did there, Paul? I do. I, I wrote that entry on the Why This Book Should Win uh, on oh, the 3% yeah, blog. Oh, yeah, I do see that. So, uh, yeah, a little bit extra points there. That's Cody. right. <laughs> <laughs> that I continually go back uh, to for books to read and chat post recommendations in publishers weekly and mining the Dalkey archive reading and translation has led me not only to authors, but translators and reading a translator's oeuvre across many different presses, Margaret Jill Costa, Sean Cotter, Elam Elias Bursat, Dahlia Bilou, and many others. In college, I worked at a Barnes and Noble, which in retrospect had an appalling dearth of books in translation. I don't work in publishing, though I wish I did work with books, but my reading is infinitely richer since making a concerted effort to read books from Open Letter, Dalkey, Pete Bellum, Archipelago, Seven Stories Press, NYRB Classics, and beyond. 
Side note, there's also something to be said about these presses publishing non-American English language books like G.B. Edwards, the book of Ebenezer LePage, and Jack Cox's Dodge Rose, which have been similarly worthwhile reading experiences. Thank you again for the podcast conversations. Stay safe, Cody. Wow, I loved it. Thanks for the rambling, Cody. Yeah, <laughs> Every exactly. minute was, you know, every second I, I, I loved it. <laughs> yep, we'll always take those for sure. Okay, the next one comes from Rick, and it says, Thanks so much for your wonderful podcast. It's a genuinely life-enhancing listen, not just for the great books and topics that you discuss, but for the atmosphere of warmth, curiosity, and kindness with which you do it. Thank you, Rick. We appreciate yes. that. I'd love to enter the open letter giveaway. As a UK resident, I'm not as familiar with them as with some of the previous publishers you've highlighted, but their backlist is really intriguing. The books I've read from them was Street of the book I've read from them was Street of Thieves by Matthias Ennard, which I found a really engrossing atmospheric tale of two friends growing up in Tangier and the different paths that their lives took. I read it in Morocco in March 2020, in what proved to be my last holiday for a while, and I loved it. The one I'm most excited to read from forthcoming titles is Not Even the Dead by Juan Gomez Barcena. My wife recently disinterred his previous novel, The Sky Over Lima, from my bookshelves <laughs> and said it was superb. That's rocketed it up my to-read to list, and Barcena's latest sounds equally intriguing. Any comparison to David Mitchell immediately grabs my attention. Thanks again for making the podcast. It really is something I look forward to each fortnight and hugely enjoy. Best wishes, Rick. All right, last one, then we will get involved. This is from old friend Bill Martini. It says, greetings, Trevor and Paul. I am about halfway through your latest podcast on Open Letter Books, and we'll finish it up on my way home from work. I am avoiding the mundanity of my job this morning to enter the Open Letter Books giveaway. Thanks for the distraction. <laughs> Hopefully, you're still being responsible, you know, working, getting your work done. <laughs> I have unfortunately not had a huge exposure to their books. I am just now really getting into reading translated fiction, but one book I have read and loved was The Planets by Sergio Chafek, translated by Heather Cleary. I was hooked by the way the book shows how individual, the micro, is affected by the large-scale happenings of political violence, the macro. Among the forthcoming titles, I was, most, because they all looked good, intrigued by Natural Causes by Nina Leake and translated by B.L. Crook. As a person firmly ensconced in my middle-age era, a book examining the torpidity of aging and abundance sounded all too relatable. <laughs> Thanks again for the podcast. It is always one of the highlights of the fortnight in which it comes. Bill, well, thanks again, everybody, yeah. for your, your generous entries, for the fun. And again, this the excitement. I, I, ugh. Again, I have a pile of books here, and I'm thinking, do I really want to start a new one tonight? I know. Or do I go oh. back to something I've been reading? You know, what, we'll what, start what? ten new ones tonight. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for this, Paul? Yep. Have we strung everybody along long enough? I think so. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. Give me a number between one and five, and that's how many times I'll hit the random number. Okay. Let's go with three. Okay, three. One, two, three. All right. The winner is Ryan Crowell. Ryan, congratulations. I think there was only one Ryan who entered, so I believe this is the same Ryan whose entry we read a little bit ago. Congratulations. I promise that sending a long entry that we read 
on the podcast is not a requirement. It doesn't give you no, extra points. It not. just might happen every once in a while. Uh, because there were there were many, many, many who just sent in the name of the books, and that is totally fine. You got entered mm-hmm. into the giveaway. That uh, was all yep. just just right. So, Ryan, congratulations. We will reach out to you. We'll get you in touch with the good folks at Open Letter so that you can embark on a year of books. <laughs> yeah, so much fun. Congratulations, Ryan. And for those of you who didn't enter, you know, if, if you can swing it, I would just one more time advocate, you know, this is a wonderful subscription. There's so many great ones out there that we've talked about with Archipelago and NYRB Classics and so many other ones, but as a longtime subscriber, yeah, new directions too. But as a longtime subscriber of Open Letter, if if any of this conversation has intrigued you or if you found some books on there, I would highly recommend at the very least go out and buy some of their books. And if you can swing it, go for the subscription because you will just be exposed to all kinds of wonderful literature. I do feel like we should continue some open letter love and giveaways on yeah, our own I do over too. the next uh, the next few episodes at the very least. And, and, you know, beyond that. But we'll we'll come back with some plans. You know, a lot of people said they would like to read. Uh, is, was it Not Even the Dead? Mm hmm. And so I think that it would be fun to give someone an opportunity to do that. Absolutely. Uh, so it's a good idea. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll come back on that. Yeah. Well, as we head back into our, you know, our main topic, I was going to read, if you don't mind, a quick quote that I think just completely sums up <laughs> my ideas about this. And it comes from one of my wait, favorite wait, 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 novels. Wait, 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 wait. Is this... Is this another book by Anne Fadiman about no. the exact topic that we were talking about? Unfortunately, no. I, my streak is broken. And I actually, I think if I'd used the the quote that I talked about in our previous episode, it probably would have worked for this one because it was her <laughs> reading to her son, but it was still applicable. No, this is actually from one of my favorite um, books. One of the most beautiful books I think that I've ever read. And it's James Salter's Light Years. Mm-hmm. And there is a section pretty near the beginning that is one of my favorite passages. If we ever do a episode on just most beautiful passages or favorite passages, this one will come up again because I absolutely love it. And it's talking about a man reading to his children. And it says, and he reads to them as he does every night, as if watering them, as if turning the earth at their feet. There are stories he's never heard of and others he has known as a child, these stepping stones that are there for everyone. What is the real meaning of these stories, he wonders, of creatures that no longer exist, even in the imagination? Princes, woodcutters, honest fishermen who live in hovels. He wants his children to have an old life and a new life, a life that is indivisible from all lives past, that grows from them, exceeds them, and another that is original, pure, free, that is beyond the prejudice which protects us, the habit which gives us shape. He wants them to know both degradation and sainthood the one without humiliation, the other without ignorance. He is preparing them for this voyage. It is as if there is only a single hour, and in that hour all the provender must be gathered, all the advice offered. He longs for the one line to give them that they will always remember, that will embrace everything, that will point the way, but he cannot find the line. He cannot recognize it. It is more precious, he knows, than anything else they might own, but he does not have it. And I just think, wow, that is just one of the most beautiful passages I've ever read for many reasons. But part of it is just that the idea of planting and, and watering and and mm-hmm. you're trying to expose them to all of this. And sometimes it's in a fable. Sometimes it's in 
another form of literature, but just that idea of trying to give them everything they need to go out into the world. And I just think that's absolutely beautiful. And when you talked about what a love of reading is, I think that could be a big part of it right there. Hmm. You know, it's been a while since I've read that book and I don't remember that passage. So uh, that's just to go back to our rereading episode. Hmm. Why wouldn't I want to read that passage again, you know, and (sighs) and have that be back into my life. So thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's, I wish, I should have looked, tried to remember any any particular passages from some of my favorite books about reading to, or, or just talking about this future generation. I didn't do that, unfortunately. Yeah. So again, okay. listeners, I mean, I, you know, jump in with some things. Yeah, <laughs> I would love out. to have some, some, some suggestions on that. Well, you talked about the Count of Monte Cristo earlier and kind of leaving that book out, you know, lying around mm-hmm. and hoping that your son might wander into it. That is definitely a strategy that we have used pretty much (laughs) our kids' entire lives is just coming home from the time they were reading board books, just having a stack of 30, 40 books just sitting out in their Mm -hmm. room or somewhere. And because you never know what's going to spark their curiosity or their passion. And what was really cool is that happened to me just the other day where um, we were finishing reading up Treasure Island with our younger son. And so we're like, well, what are we going to read next? And he's like, I'd like to read another classic which of course made my heart go pity that. Um, and so I not even digging. the dead, Paul. You yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I started like digging around on our shelves, but then I went to the library and I just started walking down the aisles and just pulling out, you know, HG Wells and all these other things. And I just gave him a stack of like 15 books and just said, you know, look, look through these and just see if any of them, you know, strike you. And, and he was going through and going through and all of a sudden his eyes just lit up and it was, um, uh, around the world in 80 days. And huh. he just saw that and he's like, Oh, I've, I've heard about this one. I really want to read it. And I had no idea that that would be the one, you know, I thought it could be any number of other ones, but that's, what's so fun about it. And also I think so important is you're guiding and you're helping and you're exposing, but in the end, they're the ones that know exactly what works for them. And I think that's really interesting. Those are two books that I read to my two oldest when they were very young. I think mm-hmm. when we were still living back east for mm-hmm. both of them, just because I was I was excited and I had a blast with them. And I think even as little kids, they did too. I'm sure they yeah. didn't catch everything, but there was the fun, the thrill of the adventure. Mm-hmm. I remember reading Around the World in 80 Days to them. that I, And that was a book I hadn't read before. It was the first time for me and, you know, surely for them as well. <laughs> right. But it was... it. It was so fun to have that thrill of those old stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of fun to have that memory brought to to my mind. I hadn't thought about those two books and reading it to them in some yeah. time. So that that is fun. Some oh, of these yeah. are going to be memories only we have. You know, mm-hmm. they, hopefully it, it sets them on a course, but they won't remember the originating point, the the origin, right? And very well, but I will. You know, I I want these times with my kids that are special and I hope they're enjoying it. That certainly makes it even better. But I, I remember when we first moved here um, back West, it's been about, well, it's been a little over 10 years now. And so my third son was pretty young and I was trying to read the Chronicles of Narnia to the two oldest, mm-hmm. but the, the youngest, who you know, at that time was still, baby but you know being able to jump in his crib and yell that's about all he could do (laughs) would do that every time i started to read that book every single 
freaking time. <laughs> he would, I know, and, and if I'd stop, he'd stop as like a, a dog or something like that, you know, uh, just, but if I'd start reading, he would just keep on going. But we made it through those. And I love that. That, that mm-hmm. was his way of participating at that time. You know, right. He was involved in, in our little game, I guess is how he saw it. That's and the funny. older ones were invested in the story. They didn't get annoyed too much. I, you know, as, as we read that, but again, just a fun memory. I remember being excited to read. Oh, too bad. Calvin's going to be a little bit of a punk in the crib, but we're still going to do it, you know, <laughs> right. and just being, being excited about that. So yeah. Yeah. Well, fun that's, to, fun that's to think awesome. back on these memories that they, I doubt they remember it at all. Any of them, even the oldest one, but again, I do. And yeah. It's and great. My bet is that they'll remember parts of these, of these nights or some of the books that maybe you don't remember too. That's the yeah, really interesting that's thing about it is what resonates with them. It may be completely different, but it's still the idea that all of you are getting something out of it, which is fun. Um, I was just also thinking about the idea of reading out loud. And I think it ties into like, the resurgence right now of audiobooks or not resurgence. Maybe it's been ongoing, you know, yeah. via tapes and CDs, but the accessibility to audiobooks right now is unprecedented with Libby and, and all these other apps that are out there. And of course, Kindle or not Kindle, but um, uh, Amazon audible. audible. Yeah. All these different things. And that's another good way to share books with, with mm-hmm. kids as well. Um, even if you're not reading them, I know that on a recent road trip, you know, we were listening to Peter Pan, for example, and our kids were just mesmerized by that book, you know, just having a, a, all the different voices and the voice yeah. actors and different accents and everything. And so I just think it's interesting tying into that, that, you know, I find myself on commutes and everything, you know, listening to audiobooks all the time, but that's some, another nice way that you can share books with your children as well. <laughs> that's a really, again, you, you're bringing up things that we do, but I need to think about i need to this is why i really enjoy doing this is some of these things we do but i don't think about them and they don't they don't stick i don't maybe get all the benefit of them or at least appreciate what's happening i like to be able to mark these things because then i i feel like i appreciate them a little bit more but we love to get like a raw doll book or something like that mm. to listen to oh yeah absolutely <laughs> was, you know driving along and just laughing and having a lot of fun um and we also what what's the book about the the black children? I think it won the Newberry a long time ago, but it's the, going to school in the thirties. I wish I could remember the name right now. It'll come to mm-hmm. me as soon as I don't need it anymore. But we listened to that one a few years ago on a on a vacation, and that was a really good thing to do. You know, to mm-hmm. to be able to to stop and talk about this. It was, I remember the the start where, you know, they get the books when they're basically completely unusable. Mm. And that's, those are the textbooks that they get to learn from and trying to fight for those, the the ability to, to read and, and to study from something a little bit better. Yeah. Anyway, classic, classic book. I, wish I could think of the name right now. A lot of listeners are going, it's this one. (laughs) Right. I wish I could, but I don't know it. Like I may know it, but I'm not coming up with it right now either. Talk for a minute to give me some cover. Cover. Sure. Yeah, (laughs) I will. No, I will just talk about another way that I feel like is a good way to, to pass along that love. And that is through um, author events, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's again, like it, maybe it's Dave Pilkey, you know, Captain Underpants (laughs) or, or maybe it's somebody else, but, 
there's been a few different times where um, one of them through my son's elementary school class, they went over to the Tattered Cover, which I've talked about is, is a great bookstore here in Denver. And as a class, they went, I don't remember if it was Kate DiCamillo or somebody, it was a really well-known um, children's author. And they went and, and listened to her read and just seeing the kids, you know, walk up to her to get their book signed. And they just have this look of awe on their face because there's this rock star right in front of them, you know, or I took my son to here in Denver, there's something called the lighthouse workshop. That's like a writer's school and retreat. And every summer they have some really cool authors come and and do readings and teach classes there. And so I'll always go on the night where they'll have author readings and you can get your book signed. And, you know, I've seen um, Leslie Jameson and uh, Ross Gay and a lot of really great authors there. But one time I took my older son and I will say it was not age appropriate, about 50% of the content. I was like, oh boy, but (laughs) he survived. He had a wonderful opportunity to meet Min Jin Lee and she had just written Pachinko. And so she was reading from that book. And afterwards, I went up and I was talking to her and he kind of sidled up and he had this big fat middle grade, you know, like some kind of sci-fi or fantasy book that he was holding. And she was so kind and she noticed that he was carrying that. And she like got down on his level and started talking to him about the book and engaging with him and asking him all about it. And it was just one of those moments that he still talks about. So I was just going to say, when it comes to passing along the love of reading, parents are important, but I also think people like librarians or meeting an author or something like that can also spark that magic as well for kids. So I would, you know, encourage that as another way to do it. Yeah, actually our, our, the library here does author events quite often. They're usually localish authors. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever heard of scary stories for young foxes? Yeah, I have heard of that. Yeah. So that author, I'm, I'm looking it up because even though I went to his event and thought he was delightful to listen to, I can't remember that uh, this is okay. We could, we can't talk ad hoc too much. People know that I don't remember too much about all these things. Uh, scary stories for young foxes. Um, he came to an event and there weren't very many of us there. Cause it was kind of toward, you know, sometime with, with um, COVID. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was so fun. It was like an October evening and he read from his, his book. It's Christian McKay Heidecker is the name of the author. And yeah, when we left, my uh, second son wants to go and get those books and and read them. And they love going to those events. And I love that they love meeting these authors and showing them their enthusiasm. I know they sometimes ask the questions these authors get asked all the time. Where do you come up with your stories? You know, things like that. I don't know. I hope they don't mind too much because sometimes that's just someone who's burgeoning in their enthusiasm. Oh yeah. And I, I definitely usually feel that's the way the authors receive it, but it's, I love going, I love going to those myself. I would go even if my kids didn't go, I, I but you're too. right. It's, it's, it's a way that we can kind of get a peek behind and, and get excited about storytelling and, and mm-hmm. stories. Yep. Absolutely. And I remember seeing a lot of the little, kids, you know, not little, but they were probably fifth or sixth grade. And and when they were walking up to the author, not only were they getting their book signed, but they were talking about the books they were writing and like sharing those stories with the author. And you could see that, you know, she was getting a lot of joy out of just hearing it's like all these future readers and writers and just the enthusiasm that they have at that age um, is so infectious. So yeah, as far as love of reading, I think that is a great way to do it. It's like you're meeting your idols, you know, you can't believe you're seeing them in real life. (laughs) 
Well, you'd also mentioned movie adaptations. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on on that in terms of sharing a love of reading? Yeah, I jotted that down. There. I think, yeah, it ties into exactly what you were saying with, you know, it, initially I might have that. Well, it's, it's not reading and, and they do it differently and it's not the same. But I think in the end, it's all about keeping the passion going and the passion for story and characters and adventure and all these different things. So, yeah, I was going to bring that up. I think, you know, watching... Matilda or Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, either before or after you read the books or mm-hmm. like with our, our younger son, we just watched all the Lord of the Rings movies and we've watched all the Harry Potter ones. We watch one every year on New Year's Eve. You know, I think those are wonderful traditions. And yes, there's the, you know, I don't know if it's a concern, but there's the fact that usually the movies go in different directions and, and change the way you view the books. But I still think it opens up all kinds of um, conversations again, you know, like our younger son is funny. He's kind of like me. He will often not want to watch the movie until he's read the book because he wants to have like the, the pure form first or whatever. And when he was little, he used to say, I don't know if I want to watch that movie because it might ruin my mind pictures. And I really like that. Like I know exactly what he means. It's that idea of you've read a book and you know exactly what the castle looks like or exactly what that person looks like. And then once you watch the movie, you can never quite get it out of your head. So I, d- I do have that tension still sometimes, but I still think that the net positive of, of those conversations and watching movies is just another way to kind of grow that love. Sounds like my second son. We, we've we've been watching the Lockwood series on Netflix, which they've oh, yeah. all read now. And yeah, he has to kind of pick out every little thing that's just different. Yep. Even if they're still doing it all right. And it's like, hey, they, they're not... It's not the book. <laughs> right. But who am and I to judge? Okay. <laughs> exactly. But who am I to judge? Cause I'm the one who's still holding out on watching the Lonesome Dove miniseries. And... <laughs> no, it's going to ruin my mind pictures. That's right. Well, and it might, you know, it yeah. might, might, it might make them even better. It could, you know, when you, when you have Charles Duvall and Tom and Tommy Lee Jones in, in your mind for your mind pictures of those characters, <laughs> that's a pretty good thing. to have. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. No slouches for sure. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I am all for anything that, because sometimes the flip side happens and they watch a movie and they've never, they didn't even know it was a book or maybe they did, but they just see the movie first and that will cause them to go out to the library, the bookstore and mm-hmm. read the entire series. So no, I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I like doing that with movies. I mean, sometimes it does leads them to read like Jurassic Park. Finally, you know that mm-hmm. that's that's been my experience with a lot of books. Is yeah. I I came to them from the movies, or even if it wasn't that particular book being adapted, maybe it was something else by that author. And so it's just fun to fun to have that experience. So yeah, absolutely. Well, a- anything else? I. I myself am, am just get you know kind of getting excited to go and, and read. I, I yeah. love talking. I feel like there's always a point where I'm like, okay, you've filled me up with the with the <laughs> excitement to go and read. Um, right. I'm ready to do that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I agree. I all I will say is that I am um, looking forward now to kind of the next stages with our our children as they get older. It's it's kind of sad because you know our older one, you know, he's almost 18. So Mm -hmm. realistically we don't really read with him very much at all. Like we'll read in the same room, which is still nice. I do miss it, but it's still fun to see them. Like you can still see that 
that seed is there because, you know, he's already talking about what books he wants to take with him when he moves into the dorms <laughs> next year and everything. So it's just nice to, to kind of see that it does play out, you know, in some form or another, they do have that, that love of reading. It may not be exactly like mine and it may not take the exact same paths mine did. And in fact, it probably won't, but it's there and, and you feel like at least you've exposed them to something. And if they make the choice, they can, they, they know where to go and what to do, you know, if, if they want to follow that path. Uh, and we, we, in the works, we're, we're, we're maybe going to have special guests to come on who still reads with his mom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, this will be kind of a continuation of, of some of this as, as we get to that. That may very well be our next episode. I'm not 100% sure. We're, we're, we have a tentative schedule in the, in the newsletter mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the episodes coming up is stories about idols, not I D O L S not like, you know, the golden calf or anything like that. <laughs> right. Um, but idols like I D Y L L S those, those special moments in time. And in particular about what they are, you know, what is an idol? Mm-hmm. Why do I, I don't know if you do, but I love stories about idols. These, these mm-hmm. things that just seem like they're the reason, you know, your whole life still revolves around that moment. You know, you, mm-hmm. you lived up to it and now that you're past it, it's still, you know, kind of like a, a, I guess a black hole sounds negative and maybe sometimes they are, but it's still pulling you toward it, even mm-hmm. though it's getting further and further in the past. I love those books and those stories. Yeah. So we've got something like that coming up and spring is a great time for those. I think many of us probably have our own particular memories of certain spring times that, mm-hmm. that are appealing and, and uh, and the like, we've also got um, some ideas about doing an episode on what particular things do we bring to books that we read, positive or negative, you know, mm-hmm. um, our personal biases or you know quirks or expectations or desires. We don't know exactly how that'll all pan out. Um, we're thinking of doing a book on, or an episode on favorite book titles, and we have an episode coming up on Barbara Pym, which yes, should be exciting. So any, any thoughts on those listeners, you know, stories about idols, um, what do we do or what do we bring to the books that we read or favorite book titles or even Barbara Pym, even though that's a little ways away still, please share them with us. I'd love to hear from you and share your thoughts as we're doing those episodes. Um, again, it's always so fun when we get these emails in mass because they really help us feel connected to you and it does bring us you know, just the satisfaction of, well, look at, look at what we've done, but we are a part of something, you know, we love to hear from you, hopefully, uh, you know, even more than we love to hear from us, uh, on our, on the podcast. It's just mm-hmm. so nice to, to connect and to share thoughts and to know what, what you, what you love, you know, to share that enthusiasm. So we welcome it very much. And, Absolutely. Uh, I, I love it. It's my very favorite thing about doing all this. And as an added bit of revenge, you all get to add to our TBR piles. It's, it's a little <laughs> bit of a, a counter to what we try to do and open up all these wonderful books and share them with you. That's what I love about another thing that I love about getting these is just going through all these emails. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to start jotting <laughs> all these down and start adding uh, them to my own list. Yeah, and because we went through those emails quite fast, they will all be not the emails, but the uh, the books that were mentioned will be in the show notes that you can browse through. I know some of them have funky names or or are by 
authors whose names we didn't even pronounce correctly. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's a, a little bit of a helpful resource. <laughs> in yeah, the absolutely. Newsletter. <laughs> All right, Paul. Well, thanks so much for joining me tonight as per usual. I always yeah. love it. I look forward to them all the time and uh, happy reading. You too. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can follow Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a Patreon at patreon.com mooks. Until next time, 